0: more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome into Geek Therapy Radio. I am your mental curator, Johnny Hamburger. And uh, this first segment, yeah... It's a little different, but, uh... You know, let's just get into it. Welcome to Geek Therapy Radio. True Crime Edition. This episode of Geek Therapy Radio is absolutely not brought to you by Blue Apron. The year was 1982. E.T. the Extraterrestrial was blowing up box offices all over the world. It was one of the most popular movies of all time. That same year, the video game industry was struggling. It needed a hit, desperately. But in a sick twist of fate, what the video game industry received was murder. Atari was to develop a video game for the 2600 video game system that would revitalize the company and cash in on the classic hit, E.T. The Extraterrestrial. They hired video game designer Howard Scott Warshaw. He promised to deliver a game in under six weeks to beat the Christmas season, and the game was to be innovative and capture the essence of E.T. the Extraterrestrial. The objective of Warshaw's game was to collect three pieces of E.T.'s interplanetary telephone so that he could phone home and go home. But the only place E.T. the video game went was a mass grave in the Alamogordo desert Almost immediately upon release of the E.T. video game in the Christmas season of 1982, it was universally panned for being the worst video game of all time and deserved to die. There was not one single aspect of the video game deemed redeemable, it was all garbage. The Atari 2600 already had struggling graphics capabilities, but ET made it look like that—I don't know—a Thanksgiving toilet bowl or something. It—it it was just well, it was just—it was just terrible. It was quite literally the straw that broke the video game industry's back and caused the crash of 1983. Atari paid about $25 million to secure the rights to create E.T. the video game. $25, uh, <clears throat> $25 million and offered Warshaw $200,000 in a six-day all-expense paid trip to Hawaii. In return, Warshaw was expected to turn over a hit video game that would save Atari and save the industry. Instead, it was Russian Roulette with a hand grenade. In addition to the tens of millions of dollars already invested in the video game, Atari produced about 5 million cartridges and sold about a million and a half of them to grandmas who had no idea what to get for their grandchildren. That's true, look it up. Initially sales seemed like a success. It was even number four on the sales charts. Too bad most of those units were returned to the stores and overstock was returned to Atari. Atari received back four million of the five million produced. Sales were okay. Until people played the game and literally returned it. In the end, the game was far too rushed to be polished. And Atari rested on their laurels that the hit of the movie would result in a hit with the game. This would become one of the biggest lessons to the entire game. Industry, E.T. didn't even look like E.T., it looked like a blob of mucus if you sneezed on your television screen. All in all, for 1983, Atari reported losses of $536 million. That's almost $1.4 billion today. Even today, Atari would never fully recover from the mishandling of the E.T. video game. Thankfully for the video game industry, however, a new champion would emerge. Nintendo. Now, after the failure of E.T. the extraterrestrial video game on Atari, Atari had millions of bodies on their hands. What could they do to bury the evidence? This caused one of the most widespread rumors in all of video game history. Rumors spread like wildfire, some believing that Atari buried millions of ET cartridges in a landfill in Alamogordo, New Mexico. In 1983, the Alamogordo Daily News reported that Tens and even 20 semi-trailers full of Atari cartridges were dumped into a landfill within the city. And like buzzards to a kill, conspiracy theorists flocked. In 2013, an Ottawa-based entertainment company was given six months of access to the burial site. And what they unearthed was horrific, cartridge after cartridge, carcass after carcass. The stench of plastic was unavoidable, it permeated your clothes, it permeated your mind, the putrid sight of death consumed all. (laughs) why why god how could this happen E.T 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 phone home welcome back to geek therapy radio so I wanted to mention actually as you're listening to this, that uh I am on my honeymoon in Lisbon, Portugal right now. I mean, I pre-recorded the show, but uh, this Saturday night that you're listening to it, yeah, I'm a uh, I'm across the ocean. Actually, what time would it be right now? What time is it right now? It's probably around I don't know, 10:15-ish. Around the quarter of the hour right now, 10:15-ish p.m., quarter of the hour, 10 p.m. That's about 6 or 7 a.m. ish uh, Europe time, West Coast of Europe time, Portugal time. So I'm sleeping. Probably still have alcohol in my system. Let's just be real, real honest. And whatever I ate during the day for dinner, I'm the point is I'm happily on my honeymoon. As you're listening to this, I'm asleep next to my beautiful wife, Sarah. We're having a great time. I assure you. And we can't wait to get back home, though. Actually, no, I take that back. We can absolutely wait to get back home. Maybe I'm thinking since I'm pre-recording this that I can't wait to go on my honeymoon for reasons. Anyway, having a good time. Thank you for joining me here on Geek Therapy Radio. I am your mental curator, of course, Johnny Hamburger. So on the heels of that first segment, which, by the way, I don't know if I'll ever do again. That took entirely too much time to put together, and I'm only one person. And occasionally, if you listen to the show long enough, you know that I experiment with some things because I'm a geek, and we're all geeks about something. So if I want to experiment with the format a little bit, why the heck not? Even if it means, in. I know my bosses won't like to hear this. That uh, perhaps it's conceivable that that first segment people might have turned the radio station, not knowing what they were listening to. But I'll experiment with it. I'll experiment from time to time, and I wanted to experiment with the NPR-style true crime type thing. It was it, it, the entire idea of it was to be extremely ironic. So, you didn't, if you were thinking this sounds ironic or this sounds silly, it wasn't 100% made to sound silly, up and including the uh, plug or non plug for Blue Apron, because every single true crime or NPR piece you ever listen to, almost every podcast, this podcast episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron, every single one, or most of them at least. So, that was part of the irony as well. The story was real, some of it were. Some of it was embellished a little bit for effect, but the, tr- the story itself was true. Some argue, and the story for those of you just t- tuning in, is the story about uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial, for the Atari 2600, that it was panned as one of the worst, if not the worst video game of all time. In the time it came out, the video game industry was struggling there in the early 80s, so... ET was a rushed game and um what's his Face Warshaw was the guy who who coded it and he was given less than 6 weeks to do it code an entire video game from scratch start to finish in 6 weeks and try to make it as true to the movie as possible and even Spielberg himself gave the okay on it gave the thumbs up he played the game after it was completed and gave the thumbs up before the before the Christmas season saying he really liked it well Steven is really good at making movies, maybe not so great at making video games, especially back in the early 80s. Point is, the game was rushed. It was terrible. No critics liked it. It sold a million copies to basically grandmas who had no idea what to get for their grandchildren. So, the people who bought the copies, who got the copies of E.T., played it and returned it. So, yes, Atari sold a million copies, but you know, almost a million copy, copies came right back after the people actually played it and it actually spurred it was the catalyst or set the precedent in the industry that retailers wanted some guarantees for manufacturers in the case of returns. They wanted a guaranteed return policy from the manufacturer. Not j- so so put it this way. So let's say GameStop now. GameStop would sell a video game. GameStop doesn't want to be on the hook for all this merchandise if the product winds up being crappy. They need some assurances from the manufacturer. They need some assurances from the video game company, you know, Electronic Arts or Nintendo or what have you, that the game shop isn't the one that's going to get screwed over by the return of all the video games if it's bad. Warshaw, by the way, the guy who developed ET for the Atari 2600. He was also the guy who developed, among other things, Yars' Revenge. And Yars' Revenge was a very good game. A lot of people put way too much criticism on Warshaw because he was the one who developed E.T. In actuality, yes, he he did develop E.T. He's the one who created E.T., but he also created, like I said, Yars' Revenge. And he created many good games for the Atari 2600. He was an extremely gifted, talented programmer. And it just sucks that the thing he's most noticed remembered for is not Yars Revenge, which to this day, you know, it's an Atari game. It's not. It holds up to the test of time. It's a fun game as far as Atari games are concerned. If you put a kid down, you know, a 13 year old boy with uh, the Atari 2600 and Yars Revenge, he'd say, what is this trash? But for those of us who remember and we go back to Yars Revenge, it's still a good game. Warshaw created that, and it just sucks that he's going to go down in history as the guy remembered as the guy who made ET. It's going to be a footnote that he was actually a good game creator. So, will he ever uh, get an award in the you know video game Hall of Fame or whatever for Yars' Revenge or any other, other games that he made? Which, honestly, just to be real blunt with you, you know, just being honest, I can't remember any other games that he developed besides Yars' Revenge. But will he go down in video game Hall of Fame as the guy who created Yara's Revenge and helped really, you know, was one of the first people that on the Atari team that helped Atari get off the ground? That one of the people that was, was, was key in the boom of the video game industry he'll be remembered as the person who created the game that wound up being the the straw that broke the video game industry's back but he was also one of the key players in creating the prosperous video game industry in the first place Will will he be remembered for that no you know who else worked at atari steve jobs steve jobs went on to create apple He went on to become a a billionaire and create one of the most iconic brands in human history. And Apple, as it sits right now, is valued. It's always fluctuating around a trillion dollars. So Steve Jobs got his start at Atari around the same kind of era that E.T. came out, that Warshaw was there, Bushnell and others. Atari was was like the what I, like the incubator for great minds. It, it's like if you were a part of Atari in the late 70s and early 80s, you were probably you were one of the founders of of video gaming, one of the founders of the computer revolution as we know it today. That's how big Atari was, and it just sucks that Warshaw will be remembered for the flop that was ET he'll be blamed for bringing down the video game in- industry he won't be remembered as one of the people and he, as and he should be remembered as one of the people that started the video game industry anyways i want to talk about the atari vcs and i think since we're running out of time here in this segment i'll save it for the next segment i've talked about the atari vcs the new quote-unquote atari vcs quite a few times on the show but I want to talk about it in a different sort of perspective. I want to talk about what the Atari VCS represents, the modern Atari VCS, what it represents, and it's not it may it may not be what you think. But I'll have to save that for the next segment. For now, make sure you are subscribed to Geek Therapy Radio Podcast if you haven't, if you aren't already. Make sure you are subscribed to Geek Therapy Radio on YouTube. I have surpassed 1,000 subscribers recently. I'm about a hundred past that now. I, it's not raining subs on me or anything like that. YouTube is definitely a grind, but I'll appreciate any sort of deluge when it happens Because there may be a dry spell coming up here soon. Anyways, I found that the uh, winner for this thousandth subscriber giveaway was harder than you think to find a winner. I reached out to several people around the 1,000 mark and said, Hey, you're the 1,000th subscriber. We want the prize. Nothing. Dead air. Nobody. So, hey, email me here so that we can suss out the details. You can claim your prize. Crickets. It's surprisingly difficult, but I found a winner. He is from Houston, which makes it super easy, uh, and he's a programmer. Anyways, more Geek Therapy Radio coming up. Let's talk about the Atari BCS. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Geek Therapy Radio. I'm your mental curator, Johnny Hamburger. As I mentioned in the segment previous, I want to talk about the new, quote-unquote, Atari VCS. To bring you up to speed a little bit on what the VCS promises to be, or what it's supposed to be, do you remember those? Nintendo has released the NES Classic, the Super NES Classic, Sega... Did the same thing, although who owned? I think Nintendo owns Sega now, but anyways, the classic Sega Genesis, regardless of who released it. So there's been different companies, usually the big dogs. PlayStation did the same thing. Sony released the PlayStation One Classic. It's basically this 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 hardware that in has you know thirty a few dozen classic video games from that system's era built in to the system. So, the NES Classic had a few dozen old Nintendo games built into the system, and you just plug it into your TV and just play right out of the box. The SNES had a few dozen. You plug right into your modern TV through HDMI and play the video games right out of the box. Same th- for PS1 and so on, Sega so Genesis and so on. So, the Atari VCS promises to be that it's going to, it's going, co- I keep saying, If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov/careers. Saying it's going to because oh, I'll get into that in a second. It promises to have a bunch of old classic Atari games from the you know full line of Ataris or, or most of the Ataris. So the twenty-six hundred, the seventy-eight hundred, whatever. Just all the old Ataris. You have all the classic games built in. So that out-the-box, you can have your choice of dozens of your favorite, beloved Atari classic. Probably hundreds, actually. In addition to that, it has beefy hardware. It's meant to be a new gaming console, also a modern gaming console. So it has beefy specs like several gigabytes of ram it just was announced a few months ago that it's switching over to an amd ryzen chip an apu so it's going to have integrated graphics built into the cpu on the same chip and it's a quite it's supposed to be quite a, a big you know spec bump make it quite a bit uh, more powerful e- able to handle 4k relatively easy uh, easily Um, And supposedly have third-party developers create new games for the new Atari. Because it has these beefy specs. The specs aren't as great as PlayStation 5 that's coming out. PS5 coming out. It might be sort of on par with the PlayStation 4 that's available currently. Xbox One S there you know what what have you any modern console it's going to be you know I would say the hardware's a little bit behind but it's relatively on par but it and it can also apparently run Linux or different distributions of of an open source uh, operating system if you so choose and I agree that would be pretty cool if i buy if I'm crowdfunding, which is a thing, by the way, one of the things about this is if I'm crowdfunding something that's darn near four hundred dollars, but it it can also be a, a working PC and not just a video game device. And you might be asking yourself, well, why don't you just buy a PC because you can play games on a PC? Yeah, I know it. <laughs> Believe me, I know. That's all part of the audacity of this pro uh, product. There, but that being said, uh, you know, as I think of it, I was gonna say you know, go ahead and try to build a $400 gaming PC. Actually, you can. You can do that relatively easy, especially if you already have some of the components laying around, like a case and hard drives and things like that. You can build a respectable gaming PC for $400. No, it's not going to do the latest uh, and greatest at 4K and 120 hertz. No, but $400 spent on a, a gaming PC will get you really, really good results. It can play about anything out there. So, if the Atari VCS promises to be something like that, just a turnkey solution, and that way, you can play your new Atari games, brand new Atari games, and you can also have an operating system on it, install um, a Linux operating system on it if you wish, so it's basically an all-in-one PC, that's great. You might be thinking, what about the Intel Nook? That's an all-in-one. Let's not get into semantics here. And that in itself, these what ifs or what abouts, and well, if you're spending money on this, then you could spend a thing on that. Yes, I know that all plays into all this. That's all part of the ridiculousness of this of this whole thing. If you recall, I first started talking about the Atari VCS in 2017 when it was announced. And that, among many other things, is the biggest rub with all of this it's the biggest hurdle that the atari has to jump if it jumps the hurdle at all if this isn't i'm going to say the v word vaporware Vaporware is something like, what Vaporware means is that a company promises to release this software, release this hardware. They keep promising, they keep promising, 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 but they keep moving that goalpost forward, forward, forward. They keep dangling the carrot in front of your nose. You can never reach the carrot. That's called Vaporware. They never actually release anything, but they promise they're going to release something, but they never actually do. Is the Atari VCS at this point Vaporware? I would argue that yes, at this point it is vaporware. Will Atari ever release this? Atari is a French company now. Will Atari ever release the VCS? As, of it, as it sits right now, they're slated to release it late 2019. Before that, it was slated to release sometime in 2018. Before that, They keep changing the release date for this thing. So even if it does release, let's say Perfect World... You know, everybody who's who's crowdsourced, or not crowdsourced, crowdfunded this project, that's the thing, is that Atari has already taken their money. Atari has already taken three to $400 of, of your money if you've backed the Atari VCS, which I can't tell you what to do with your money. If you really believe in this product, that it's actually going to come out, and you really love Atari, I love Atari too. I love Atari. Believe me, I just spent the last segment talking about how pivotal Atari was. And I had an Atari. It's a sore subject in my life that we gave away our Atari 2600 when I was a little, little boy to, I think his name was Big Brian, down the street. He was going off to college, so my parents gave him the Atari 2600 because we didn't need it. We had the Nintendo Entertainment System by that point. But I still miss the Atari. Plunk putting in Missile Command and Asteroids and everything. I like the way that it looked like furniture. It had the faux wood grain around it. Anyways, Let's say that perfect world Atari does release this and they release it on time. Let's say they actually release it as they state now at by the end of 2019. Who cares? At this point, who cares? You're already 2 years behind on this thing. You're you've anna- well, not 2 years behind. You've announced it over 2 years ago. And I know to into the average person listening, they might not think, "Well, 2 years, that's not, you know, a long time." Imagine that's forever in the video game industry imagine if sony had said we're coming out with a with the playstation 4 and they just they came out with it 2 years too late they kept pushing it back pushing it back pushing it back meanwhile xbox and microsoft has had 2 years which in video game terms is eons to get out ahead to stake out more claim it would be like let's say it would be like a the PlayStation 3 is the last thing that Sony put out. And the Xbox has, has in two years, probably put out another generational increase, uh, upgrade or come out with another generational release or perhaps incremental. You know, PlayStation 4 and then the PlayStation 4 Plus or whatever, they just kind of add more. It's not a complete revision. It's not a complete new release, but they keep releasing like better versions, more powerful versions. In two years, you can do that once or twice and that's all the time in the world to get out ahead of your competition where is Atari thinking that after two years of 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 mostly silence they don't release many updates for this they don't give much news about this thing every once in a while they come out of the woodwork to say oh we put the release date back but we have a better chip in it show us where and when you do come out with it, no one's going to care anymore. It's going to be, who cares about the new upgrade you put in it? It's it, By the time it comes out, it's still going to be behind everything else. And if someone has a choice between A, B, or C, uh, Microsoft Xbox, Sony PlayStation, or Atari VCS with hardware that's already out of date, for the same price, if not more expensive, who's going to buy it? What niche in the market does it possibly fit? At this point, I just I, I just want the Atari to be to be released just for the backers. I just want the backers who put money into this, who put three or four hundred dollars into this two years ago, to get what they're paying for, to get what they did pay for, just to break even. At this point, I don't care if the Atari VCS chews into the, any sort of market share choosing any sort of segment in the video game industry because it's not going to. It's just, let's just be real about this. It's not going to, but I want the people who paid money for it to get it. That said, and I know th- how, why this all sounds ridiculous. And one of the reasons it sounds ridiculous is if they release it, I want to buy one. I want the option to buy one at least. Will I buy one? I don't know. Do I want one? Yes. <laughs> but we're losing faith at this point. Two years is forever in the video game industry. That's all I wanted to say. Even if Atari VCS comes out, it's already too late. That's that's basically my opinion on the matter. Uh, more Geek Therapy Radio coming up. One last segment. Stick with me. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Geek Therapy Radio. You got your mental curator, Johnny Hamburger. If you're just joining me, I've actually been spending the past few segments talking about hardware, software type things, mainly related to the Atari and the Atari VCS. I started out with a, a very silly true crime-style NPR segment about ET for the Atari 2600 and the massive conspiracy that wound up coming out of the failed Atari game, the landfill in Albert, not Albuquerque but in New Mexico, and how it's, it's 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 blamed ET for the Atari 2600 is blamed for. Being the hair, or being the straw in the camel's back that broke the camel's back, leading to the crash of the video game market in 1983, which I'll argue, by the way, that's that set the stage for Nintendo to to rule the roost. And you know what? Off the top of my head, let's get in that for get into that for a second. Atari was king of the hill in 1982 before the crash of the video game market. Whether or not it was do entirely, which it wasn't, to ET on the the bomb of uh, ET on the 26 Atari 2600 or not. People like to blame it for that, but pff, that's you know, there's a whole lot of a whole lot of factors into why the video game market failed in 1983. So for a couple years, you know, there wasn't much of a video game market until the Nintendo Entertainment System came onto the scene, I believe, in 1985-ish. Around that time, a couple of years after the the crash of the video game market. And many people thought, many industry analysts thought, there's no way. Nintendo is insane for trying to come out with a new video game system in the United States when people are sick of video games. The market is is, is done there's no there's no way this would be financially wise for Nintendo to get involved in the United States market and bring out a brand new video game system, but Nintendo has always been very smart, and it was all in the marketing. If you remember... The Atari, like I mentioned earlier, I said it had the faux wood grain. It was made to look like a piece of furniture. Back when TVs were in, in wooden, in, you know, encased in wood. Basically, it was all made to look like furniture. The Atari 26 was no different. It was made to look like a piece of furniture with a faux wood grain on it. Nintendo. ...marketed the NES, first of all, by not calling it a video game system. They very cleverly called it an entertainment system. And they designed it for the American market with a front-loading cartridge system. Just like you. the consumer was, was uh, familiar with loading VHS tapes into their VHS player. That's how Nintendo designed it for the north american market in uh in japan the nintendo was top loading you, you put the cartridges down on top just like the atari 2600 but if the american market saw another top loading video game system they'd think it's just another atari thing and it would be a failure and it wouldn't work so they designed it to look like and operate like a vhs tape player in a in fact, a lot of people would call the Nintendo cartridges Nintendo tapes, even though there was no tape in it, but it loaded the same way, and people don't, whatever. It's all association. So they, they made it look like a VHS player, operate like a VHS player as far as loading is concerned, and they didn't call it a video game system. They called it a home entertainment system, the Nintendo entertainment system. So it's very clever marketing, and they knew that the games had to be really good. So you had really good ports of Donkey Kong, from the arcade you had other very uh joust you had others uh really good games coming out for it and then super mario brothers did not come out for it immediately they came a couple years later actually actually so anyways that's just a side note on how nintendo used the collapse of atari in the video game market in the in the united states to come in there and just basically take it over Side note, Atari or Nintendo doesn't have to release a successful product in the next 20 or 30 years. They have enough money saved in their coffers that they can release dud after dud after dud after dud and still be in the black, still have money. And they do release duds. The Wii U was a dud. In various other projects, uh, the Virtual Boy was a dud. Nintendo releases crap products. It's just they have they experiment with it all. The Virtual Boy was the first Nintendo product to experiment with 3D and virtual reality. Um, the Wii U, what the heck was the Wii U experimenting with? The, the, the tablet form factor for the video game controller, I guess. You know, the video game controller had a screen in it as well, so it was kind of dual screens, kind of like the Nintendo DS handle. It was all weird. Nintendo does weird stuff. And, okay, and occasionally, all that weird stuff culminates in a product that works really well and draws upon the good parts of the past failed products. The Nintendo Switch draws upon the, the failed products by taking all of their good stuff and putting it in the Nintendo Switch, which is a wild runaway success. So, I think Nintendo's marketing strategy and their kind of their whole mission is really cool. Even though sometimes they're jackasses and they, they're really, really anal about their copyright claims and everything. But anyways, moving on. Semi-unrelated. There's two products that are on the horizon. One of them is rumored. One of them is actually coming out that I'm excited for. They are not video game related necessarily, but one is the GPD Pocket 2 Max. You might remember Netbooks. Netbook PCs, they're kind of like mini laptops. They're very stripped down versions of lap, full-size laptops that had very underpowered processors in there that are just meant to be supplementary devices. Take on the road. The battery life would last forever. And they're full-fledged PCs, but just really trim back on the power and everything like that. And they were cheap. So the GPD... The the brand GPD is getting back into kind of to the the netbook realm, except that processors, even mobile processors today, are so much more powerful, so much better. It's kind of a misnomer, and doesn't do any GPD doesn't do itself any favors by even relating its product to the term netbook because it's so much more than that. Tablets also killed the netbook too, but anyways, think of that form factor—just a small. 8.9 8.9 inch screen, which is bigger than you think. You know, coming from even the biggest smartphone screen, the screen I'm looking at right now on my Note 9 is darn near six inches, if not oh, a little bit over six inches diagonally. Going from that to an extra three inches is monstrous. But nine inches, that's about the size of the new iPad Mini. It's very small, as far as form factor goes, and totability goes, and, and uh, mobility goes. But in a laptop. That actually, I'm super excited about this, and it has. It's coming with the um, the Core M3 y processor. It's dual core, quad uh, quad thread, and up to 16 gigabytes of RAM. And I've I've read differing differing reports, but up to a terabyte of solid state storage, if not just 512, which is still that's that's good. Plenty of ports, two Type-A ports, which is amazing, a Type-C port. Are you listening, Apple? A micro HDMI port and a headphone jack. But I'm just, I, I'm excited for that form factor. I don't know, something about it really gets my 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 geek antennas vibrating. I think it's really cool. I might actually sell some stuff, extra tech that I have laying around to, to get one of these. Whenever it comes out, and it's going to come out pretty soon. GPD has been... Been, been uh, releasing uh, images of it, and, and blueprints for it, and all sorts of working prototypes for it. So I'm excited for it to actually come out, and uh, I might, I might, I might back it. <laughs> A lot of people. Roll their eyes. Don't be a backer. Uh, but GPD has always released their products. GPD has a good pr- uh, track record of always releasing their products. I have a G- I have a couple GPD products that I've crowdfunded, and they are wonderful. So I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, the uh, What is it called? The G- It's also confusing, the GPD Pocket 2 Max. And I will get it with the Core M3, not the Celeron, and I will get it with 16 gigs of RAM. It's probably going to be around $700, which is why I'm going to sell some stuff that I don't need anymore to justify it. The second thing I'm very excited for that's just rumored, but the fact that it's even rumored gives me hope. I still have my original NVIDIA Shield tablet, and it is still one of the most powerful tablets you can buy. Albeit riddled with 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 problems. It shouldn't be laggy. It shouldn't have Bluetooth issues. But it does. And it did. And it still does. But underneath it all was something great. And by, when NVIDIA got in bed with Nintendo, they stopped all support, basically, for the NVIDIA Shield tablet. Because the Nintendo Switch was basically the new Shield tablet. But NVIDIA, there's rumors that there is a new NVIDIA Shield tablet 2. And I am super Super stoked about that! It is not going to be that expensive because the first one wasn't that expensive. It was around three hundred dollars, and it's just oh, for gamers, for gamers, there is no better tablet on the market ever. There has never been a better one. There will never be a better one than the Nvidia Shield tablet. I'm out of time. Take care, my geeks. be good to each other, including yourself, and I'll see you in the next Geek Therapy Radio.